0: Good morning, Oakwood, and welcome to part three of our series uh, called Witness. As uh, we've been learning together, the mission of the church, of course, is and the mission of, of Christ's followers is to make disciples. Matthew 28, you uh, know, we talked about that in Acts chapter uh, 1. Uh, Verse 8, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses. All of you who believe, all of you who are saved, you will be my witnesses. And we've been uh, talking about that. And then last week we talked about Romans 116 uh, where the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. And the vehicle of that witnessing is the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus Christ and we're to take that into all of the world. And, 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 that, and we're, we're going to learn over the next several weeks about how do we do that, just, just even getting more practical into how we do that. Today we're going to talk about how our hearts, we need to yearn for lost people as God does. We need to yearn and love people as God does. Now today we're going to do something that we don't normally do. We're going to read a ton of scripture, which is awesome. So uh, if you have your Bible, turn it to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. If you didn't bring your Bible, we've got you covered, just grab that one. It's right there in front of you, and turn it to page 874, and you'll be right there. Luke chapter 14, you can always follow along in our app, in and in all the notes and the scriptures are there for you. Um, but we're going to uh, just really be studying um, about Jesus, and, and, and this is probably uh, Luke 14, this section that we're going to be reading, starting with verse 25. I don't know what your subheading says there. Mine says the cost of discipleship. And this is one of the most solemn and somber and serious sections in Scripture uh, that, that I ever read of Jesus giving. And let me, let me set it up for you like this. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. I mean, everybody, everybody's loving on Jesus right now. He's done some miracles. He's, he's, um, he, he's, he's spoken some sermons and, and said some things in ways that people are, are starting to notice him. It's like he speaks as one with spiritual authority from heaven not as one of our rabbis speaks i mean this man this man is 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 the son of god he's proclaiming to be the messiah and he's speaking in a way here that's that's catching and capturing attention of everyone and so he's got a very large following now now, now the this following of jesus at this point it, it's not like uh, they're all disciples you know it's like they're all committed people they're just you know it's the thing to do he's got a lot of momentum here it's like hey this guy, you need to come see him. You know, he's kind of a spectacle. Uh, and you might see a miracle. I mean, he's done some miraculous things. And people are like, I want to go see this for myself. I want to go hear, hear him speak. And so large crowds have amassed and have come after Jesus. And then we get to verse 25 of our passage today. It says this. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned to these great crowds of, of people that were wanting to check him out. And he said to them this. If anyone comes to me. And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. And yes, even his own life, then he cannot be my disciple. Man, that sounds like a good church growth plan there, right? <laughs> Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross, which at that time meant a crucifixion device to people. It was you know, like like you know, it'd be like a electric chair to us you know whoever does not bear their electric chair whoever does not bear their own cross and come after me he cannot be my disciple for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it otherwise when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him saying well this man began to build and was not able to finish And then Jesus gives another illustration. He says, Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." And then he goes on, he finishes with this, he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer, it it is no use either for the soil or for the manure pile, it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you may read a passage of scripture like this and you go like, oh, this is one of those times where the Bible contradicts itself, right? Right? because Jesus said to love one another I know he said that and I remember that Jesus actually went as far to say love your enemies So how is Jesus going to say to to, to love your enemies and to love your neighbor as yourself and, and to love people and then come out in Luke 14, to a crowd um, mix, of just, just mixed up people, not even just his closest followers, and say something like, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mom, his, his dad, his wife, his spouse, and his children, and his brothers and sisters, if you don't hate your entire family, then you cannot be my disciple. Because, you know, you read that you're just like, well. but Jesus is actually uh, doing something that we would call today shock value. And what he's saying is that you would love me as a son of God, so much that it would feel like hate that love that you have for your family that you would love me so much that it feels like hating your wife your father your mother your brothers your sisters your own children it would feel like hate the level of love that you have for them because your love for me is so much is so big is so enormous and he's saying that kind of love you got to really be sold out and love me or you cannot be my disciple. And then right there in, in, in the next verse, in 27, it says, whoever does not bear his own cross, if you're not willing to sacrifice for me, if you're not willing to carry the burden of the gospel with me, then he says you cannot be my disciple. And then he gives us two illustrations that we read, and then we get down to verse 33. And it's kind of the third uh, command of following Jesus. And he says, so therefore, any, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, Some people think, well, that means like a vow of poverty, that I'm supposed to give up everything I have. No, it's just you're supposed to be willing to give up everything you have. That nothing's going to own you. That you're not going to be owned by your stuff, that you're not going to be owned by your payment to the bank, that you're not going to be owned by anything in this world or anyone else in this world. You would renounce it all for the sake of Jesus Christ. And he says, and any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, then he cannot be my disciple. And then he says, hey, you know, he, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus had used this example for believers that you're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You're the light of the world. City on a hill cannot be hidden. That, that whole part in Matthew chapter 5. We, we talked about that. Here's just a reiteration of that here in Luke 14 where he says, hey, if salt isn't salty, what's the point? He's like, it's just thrown out. It's not good for anything. And then he says, as he says so many times when he's teaching, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, some of you get this and some of you don't. It's kind of Jesus' way of saying, hey, if you're going to turn your back on me now, then, then you're just not going to get it. You don't get my love, you don't get my grace, you don't get my teaching, you don't get even the reason why I've come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we read this, And there's something that bothered me about this when I first read this and studied this. One of the things that bothers me is what happens right after this, right after uh, verse uh, 35 there, is there's a chapter break. Okay? I want you to understand this morning. The chapters in the Bible are for us to refer to to get us to the places we want to read Scripture. Okay? That was added later. When the Bible was written, it was written as one continuous book, one continuous story, one continuous chronicle of the life of Jesus Christ and the words of God the Father in heaven. And so sometimes I feel like we, we lose how things link together. Because Jesus has just given this cost of discipleship. He's told us to hate our families. He's told us to take up our cross and, and all this. And it's almost like I feel like Jesus is making it hard to want to follow him. I feel like Jesus is making it hard to want to be a part of his kingdom. But if we didn't have the 15 there, we would stop reading like, I've read my chapter for the day, I'm not reading any further. It's not something that's like strategically placed, it's Jesus is making a point and he continues to make the point. And and, and as this crowd is maybe even starting to thin a little bit after the hard words of 14, Jesus wants to send a message to everybody because on the heels of the cost of discipleship is Luke 15. And Luke 15 tells us Three stories talks about lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Let's, let's, let's read this part together. Luke 15 says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. You know, I mean, these are like the lowlifes, the scum of the earth, you know, the worst of the sinners They're they're being drawn unto Jesus, and he's actually fellowshipping with them out of this crowd. And it says, and the Pharisees, which were like the religious leaders of, of the Jews, and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, eating with somebody back in Bible times means more than it does today. What that meant is that you had fellowship with them, and it was almost like a seal of approval. It, 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 was, it, was, it was like you associated with them, meant that they had your seal of approval. So, if a Pharisee were to come to you and say, Hey, I want you to come to my house for dinner tonight, it wasn't casual. It wasn't like, no big deal, doesn't mean anything. It meant something in Jesus', in Jesus day. And so, the fact that they add that here in the scripture, it means something. This man receives sinners, he talks to them, and he even shares a meal with them, he even eats with them, he goes into their houses. He shares meal. He associates with his people, and so then he told them these three stories, these three parables. Verse four: What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. What's Jesus saying there? There's a cost to discipleship, but I want you to know the love of my Father. Lost sheep. I actually preached on just that passage right there a couple of years ago in a series that we did called This is for Everyone. And it was a reminder that we are to be about the ones, the lost ones. And and why? It's because that's who Jesus came for. He came for those that were lost. He came for those that needed grace. He came for those that needed forgiveness of sins and hope that can only come from the Son of God and can only come from the blood of the Lamb. We talked about that sacrifice last week as a part of the gospel. And then he goes on to another little story: Parable of the Lost Coin. It says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? It's because silver coins were valuable. And so if you lost one, you say, well, you've got nine more silver coins. But one was so valuable that she's going to turn that house upside down to find this coin. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I lost. And then Jesus gives another summary statement in verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He says it again. And then we get into one of the most famous passages in the Bible called the prodigal son. Most people have probably heard this passage or you you maybe, maybe haven't read the whole thing, but you at least know the premise of it. You know, the prodigal son returns. It's someone who's gone wayward, gone their own way, and they come back is the next story that Jesus shares. And again, he's painting this picture of the love of God and the desire to be the one that saves those who are lost. So verse 11, he says in this, And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, forgive me, the share of property that is coming to me. Oh, I'm sorry. He says, Father, give me the share of of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between the two of them. And that's that's just what little brothers do, because I had one too, so just kidding. Older siblings all gather together. Verse 13, not many... Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, I like the way the wording of that is in the scripture. It's kind of like, and when he came to his senses, but it's like when he realized what a fool I am, he says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Why? Because they had way better living than he was making. In verse 20 it says, and he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him now let's pause there for a second and not miss what's actually happened here first of all we see repentance of the young man right just just in those couple verses before he's like he's like i'm gonna go to my dad and say father i've sinned against heaven i've sinned against god i've sinned before you i'm no longer even worthy to be called your son just hire me as one of your servants so I can have some bread. So I can find some, some way to make it in life. And so he repents. And we get to verse 20. It says he arose and he was headed home. He was headed home to the father. And look what it says about the father. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now what does that tell you about the father here? And what would Jesus trying to be expressed to people about the heavenly father? Is it while they're still a long way off? While they're still caught up in their sin, while, while they're still a long way off, he's looking for him to come home. Because if you think about that, don't you think you just kind of give up as a dad? And we don't know the period of time here. A lot of scholars believe it's been a year, two years, three years, maybe even more. But there's been a long period of time for the dad to still be looking for the son to come home. And yet he does. Because he cares so much about his son. Because he loves that son. And he knows that he's lost. And while he was still a long way off, it says that he saw them. Then what does it say next? Next it says that he had, he he felt compassion on him. You know, that felt compassion part could be a little deceiving to some of us because I'm thinking, felt compassion. You could have felt anger, right? You dumb kid, you squandered half of all my possessions. You, on this reckless living, you went your own way, and, and you made a bad name for me. In fact, in our community, everybody just laughs at me like, oh, hey, uh, you know, what happened to your son? And they act concerned, but they're whispering behind my back, my good name and my, and my good fortune in this town. Now no one wants to do, to do business with me anymore. It's embarrassing everywhere I go because of what you've done. I was totally shocked by your decisions and, and shame on you. It's the way a lot of dads handle it today, right? But it says that the father felt compassion. He saw his son as someone lost. Someone that maybe had some semblance, but somehow got lost in sinfulness. Someone that had veered from the path that the father had intended him to be on. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was looking for him, and he felt compassion. And then look what happens next. It even goes to a whole other level. The father ran to him. You know, chariots of fire in the background. And the father's running to him. But it doesn't even stop there. It says, then he embraced him. And he kissed him. Now, had the father... I mean, had the son said anything to the father yet? I mean, we knew he had repented in his heart from the verses above, but had he said anything to his dad yet? No. Look what happens next in verse 21. It says, and the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I picture at that point, the father says, ah, 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 don't say anymore. Because remember, there was more above. After he said that, he was going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That was going to be the next line that he was going to say, right? But even before he could get that out, it says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. He's looking pretty scraggly after the lifestyle that he had led. And put a ring on his hand. So he has identity as part of this family. And put shoes on his feet because his feet are tore up. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. Why? Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. That's how much God loves you. And I would say... Church people that are at church this morning, that's how much God loves all the people that aren't here this morning. And all the people that are coming to your mind right now saying, oh well, man, I wish they could hear hear the gospel might make a difference in their life. Maybe if they knew there was hope in their marriage situation or in their marriage situations in their family dynamics that they've created and the mess they've made of their finances and their horrible reputation and their run-ins with the law and all of these areas and in all of these things hope found in God who loves you and the moment they decide you know what I'm thinking about going home the father sees them a long way off he has compassion on them he runs and embraces them and kisses them why because he loves them and then he's going to throw a big party I mean Jesus said it in the first two stories right right He said, great is rejoicing in heaven over one person that repents because that's why my son was sent. That's what he died on the cross for. Now, the fact is, Scripture would tell us that we're all that son. We've all been there. Some of us just don't remember like we used to, right? (laughs) Been a Christian forever. You know, I was born and raised in the church. I accepted Christ when I was six. I don't remember what lostness felt like. Try to remember Try to remember what it was like to really be lost and to get found. And whether you were 6 or 16 or 36, I think the oldest person I ever um, had the privilege of baptizing was 86. That It doesn't really matter the age. Remember what it was like before you had hope and before somebody witnessed to you and said, there's a different way. there's a God who loves you and who cares about you but so many of us we don't yearn for people the way God does instead let's just read the rest of the story in verse 25 now his older brother the responsible brother that had stayed home didn't squander his half of the inheritance with wild living the responsible one Now, his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The the, the father and, 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 and really the heavenly father had received him back safe and sound. Because In and, and verse 28, look at his reaction here. It says, but he was angry and refused to go in. And guess what? His father came out from the celebration and entreated him. Verse 29, but he answered his father like this. He said, look, these many years I have served you. He's already with the father. He didn't value that time. All these many years I've had to serve you, Dad. You didn't enjoy the time? You didn't value the time and all the meals that you got to share and all the conversations that you got to have under the umbrella protection of your father's household? All these years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, pride. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, and notice again the language, just the son of yours, not when my brother that I love, that is in my family, no, not not my brother. It's when this son of yours came. He has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It's almost like he's saying, isn't that better than what your brother has had to go through? (laughs) You didn't have to learn the hard way. You've had the good life this whole time. You've been with me this whole time. And all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad when your brother came back for This, your brother, not the son of mine, but your brother was dead. He is alive. He was lost and is found. Do you feel for even a moment here the love of the heavenly father that he has for us? Do you feel for a minute here the compassion that would drive the God of the universe to actually send his son to be a sacrifice for us. There's several things we need to learn about this this morning. And the first one is this. We must care more about eternal destinations than temporary conditions. We must care more about eternal destinations than temporary conditions. Let me explain what I mean by that. Some of the people that are lost that maybe have come into your mind this morning, they're in these conditions, Right? And a lot of them have made this choice for themselves. The devil is crafty. He's lured them away to think, hey, this is the good life. Hey, this is the good life. You need to go do this lifestyle. You need to go do this thing. Oh, try this. And we know that people through their sinful choices have made just an absolute mess of their lives. I would say a wreck of their lives. And sometimes we get so caught up in those temporary circumstances because they're, they're temporary. They don't have to stay that way. That we lose sight of the eternal destination of people. That they, if they actually never come to repentance and they actually never make a decision to follow Christ Jesus, they are going to go to hell. That's what the Bible says It's cut and dried. They don't get a second chance. They don't, you know, die and, oh, they'll come back as a raccoon and, Raccoons love Jesus, It's whatever weird theology or weird doctrine or false religion, maybe you've heard before, none of that is true. The Bible says that a person dies once and then faces judgment. That's it. It's over. And so many times I think we get caught up in the temporary circumstances that it negates us and it pushes us away and it pulls us back from the eternal destination, from being more concerned about that person repenting and coming to Jesus and keeping our hands like snow white clean the whole time than having a red hot heart for them and being able to share the gospel, the good news, that there is another way in life and that way is Jesus Christ because he said, I am the way. Have you maybe struggled with that? That's why you don't engage. That's why you don't tell anyone about Jesus. Because you're so caught up in their temporary circumstances. And the beauty of it is those circumstances can be temporary. They don't have to be the circumstances that take them into eternity. They can change through the love and the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. So don't get caught up on their conditions of wrongness, of sinfulness, of unrighteousness. Don't get caught up in that. Remember, there's something deep there that needs some treatment. Made me think of a hospital. If you go into a hospital and you have a hangnail, and it, I mean, it's a bad hangnail, it's gotten infected maybe when your little tip of your finger's red, and oh man, it hurts the touch, and maybe there's a little pus coming out of the side like, you you, like, man, you got an infected hangnail, that's really bad, right? And you walk in the hospital, you say, I, I need some treatment here for my, my, I mean, it's really bad. But then someone walks in and they've got an injury like an Allen Seibel type of injury, like a chainsaw <laughs> to the leg. If you have no idea who Alan Seibel is, he's the guy that's going to end the service later and you can talk to him about all of his injuries after the service, okay? But we're talking like a real injury, like chainsaw to the leg, you know, a knife to the hey. I mean, they've got a deep, deep wound and they're bleeding profusely and there's way more cause for concern of infection in that and you are both walking into the ER at the hospital at the same time. Who are they going to treat first? Duh the deep wound, right? If he loses blood and bleeds out, he dies. The hangnail, you're probably going to hang on for a few more hours, right? Still needs treatment. And see, we laugh we think, oh, how absurd is that? How absurd is it that we don't have that view of lost people? That they're the ones with the deep wounds. They're the ones that are about to bleed out. They're the ones that maybe we need to have some urgency because there's not much time left. We can take care of the hangnails later, all the other stuff. We've got to yearn in our hearts for people the way that God does. Because here's, here's another, another fact this morning. If you are saved, if you are saved, then you are called to serve because only found people find people. Only the found people, only ones that were lost and have been found actually do the finding for others. It makes total sense. You know, you've heard that phrase before about someone who's lost, leading someone else who's lost. You know, if you're on some road and you're like, man, I need directions. Are you from here? No, I'm lost. Well, give me your directions. That's a great idea. No, it's, the fact is that found people find people. And that's our mission. we got the marching orders in Matthew 28, told that we are going to be as witnesses in Acts 1.8. We're not going to be ashamed of the gospel for it is good news and it's the power of God for salvation. what's hindering us from sharing it it's a love for lost people but if you are saved if you if you if you came in this morning you're like well I got saved when I was 12 and I've never shared the gospel with anyone never baptized a friend never shared my faith never even said a prayer with someone if that's where you're at this morning you are saved and if you are saved you are called to serve because only the found people find people and you, if you are saved this morning and you, you feel that your eternity is sealed, then Jesus asks you to make your life about others. To make your life about the lost people getting found. Because we were all there once. All there once ourselves. And yet somebody somehow saw to it that we would hear the gospel. That we would know about Jesus when we heard the good news we gave our lives to Christ and somebody cared and loved about us enough to do that and they took serious that they had been found and took it as a mission that they wanted to find others because the other thing to think about this morning is that you are saved from something for something when you're saved you're saved from something you're saved from the, the the life of sin you're saved from eternal life in hell separated from God you are saved from something for something you're you're saved for doing the mission of God you're saved to be on his team you are saved as Jesus would say to be my witnesses. I love what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says. It says this, for we are his workmanship. In the Greek, that word is poema, where we get our English word poem. And it gives us this idea that we are one of his great masterpieces. Some translations say masterpiece. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now listen to this, which God prepared beforehand, before you ever saved, that we should walk in them. He had a plan all along. But once you got saved, he had work for you to do. And the work is that you share the good news with everyone. Everywhere. And that your heart would break like God breaks for lost people. And that you also would rejoice. That's what I love about baptisms. Like little Sally Harms that got baptized earlier in the service. We all got to be witnesses to that. You know, you know some 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 churches, I don't know how they react to baptism. We cheer here. Because I think they cheer in heaven. We're probably not as loud as the angels in heaven. Probably not throwing a big celebration and party like they are in heaven. But at that point, it's like, yeah, this is appropriate. Amen. Look at God's work once again. Look at God's work once again. Where did it start? This love, this crazy love and compassion that he asked for people when you start to live that in your life it changes the way that you see people and it changes the way that you think about people and it changes the way that you relate to people i remember several years ago i was in a, a small group here at the church and um our small group had had grown and, and divided and got new leadership. And, and you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, you lose contact with people sometimes. When you were meeting every week and doing studies together and praying for each other, and now maybe you see each other at church in the hallways. and, and I just remember somebody got mad at me from the original group. And, we, like I said, we'd, we'd split like three or four different groups out of it. I remember one time that somebody actually said this to me in the hallway. They, they, they were like, man, all you care about is new people. You don't even talk to us anymore. I was like, oh, that makes me so sad. <laughs> it really did. It broke my heart. I remember crying over it. I remember t- going home, talking to Amy about it. I was like, what? You know, what am I doing wrong here? It's like, of course I care about them. I, I know them better than a lot of people, and I love them, and I love to see what Christ has done in their life. But then you read stuff like this, you think, well, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's okay that you'd be accused of all you care about is new people because maybe they're lost and maybe you're the one that's actually going to reach out to them and invite them and make them feel a part of God's family and love them into the fellowship of the kingdom of God because your compassion and your love is is being built up in Christ and you're beginning to see people in a different light yeah you see the mess but you see beyond the mess and you see wow what a testimony of what God could do if that person would repent and come to Jesus. I've seen it. I've seen people that were like, messed up. Come to Jesus and their life completely changes. And we could walk across this stage, testimonies of some even in this room that could tell you about the life B.C., before Christ, and tell you about the life after somebody had compassion on them. and God intervened and worked and did this miraculous work in their life and in their heart. I love the way it's put in Matthew 9.36 about Jesus the son of God. This is what it says Matthew 9.36 it says when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Luke 19.10 kind of summarizes it all. When Jesus said this, in Luke nineteen ten, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Not the found, the lost. Have you ever lost a kid? I don't know if you remember when Tim Harlow was here in the fall helping celebrate the 40th anniversary of, of Oakwood, but uh, when he was here, he shared a story about losing Becca. Uh, his daughter, how they had lost her on a beach. And how scary that would be if you think about it parents, if you lost one of your uh, children on a beach because you know it was like a sea, there's waves. I mean, they could have been sucked out and drowned. We don't know if they're you know were they in the water? you know we just we just looked away for a few seconds and they're gone. And how it was up like a 45 minute search. Can you imagine that parents? forty five minutes, you don't know where your kid is running up and down some beach. And what were they doing the whole time? They're yelling, Becca, Becca, you know, the whole family just scattered. Mom went one way, dad went the other. I've had that experience myself, but not for 45 minutes, praise the Lord, but for like 45 seconds, maybe. It's called when you have three little girls, and they're not, I mean, they're all tall, and they're getting to be big girls now, but when they were little ones, and you go to stores, I remember clothing racks. You know, the miracle of the clothing rack is they can hide in, they can run around, and you can't see their heads over the top yet because they're so little. And so they would run around and they'd get lost. Do you remember what it felt like, parents, when you've lost your kid even for a second? When you walked around that corner expecting them to be there, and you're like, Abigail? Abigail? Wait, where is she? Hey, have you seen, have you seen Abigail? The heart rate, if you had a heart rate monitor, just jumped up about 50 beats per minute, right? Because, I mean, do you feel the anxiety a little bit even right now? Have you seen that, parent? Maybe you haven't experienced that yourself, but you've seen it, right? It's at the mall, in the store, and they've lost them. There's tons of people in there. Anybody could have taken them. They're sweet little things, and, and you're worried, and, and, and they're lost, and you're trying to find them, and, and what do you do? You separate, and you start going rack to rack, and you know, you're calling out their name, and it becomes this urgency, right? And I think the longest I've lost one of my girls is maybe 45 seconds. but That's like the worst feeling of 45 seconds in my life, because what do you do when you find them? You're like, woo. I mean you're, you're breathing heavy you're sweating because you are worried sick that urgency and that feeling is what God feels for his lost kids for all those that are lost for all the people that you've thought about this morning it's that kind of urgency and he calls us he calls us as his followers and as his witnesses to have the same kind of compassion and that same yearning to find the lost ones to find them help them find their way home and I think if there is anything that God wants for us this morning he wants us to love and have compassion on people that need Jesus and to not get caught up in looking at their mess and saying man what what have they done to wreck their life that we'd look at them and say, you know what? I want to show you a different way. And we'd share because we love them, because we care about them, because we feel that urgency that we don't know when their life ends. We don't know when their last moment will be, but we know they've got to know Jesus before them. For some of you, it's somebody in your family. For some of you, it's maybe a friend. Somebody, somebody that you're going to go to work with tomorrow. I just pray that God would stir in us to yearn for people like he does and that we could be his witnesses and lead many more in the kingdom of God. Fill heaven with his lost children so that they could also accept the free grace of Jesus.